This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Editing, the act of getting your book print ready, is perhaps one of the most misunderstood aspects of the book writing journey. Editing isn't just catching typos and comma splices and subject verb disagreement. That's one part of editing, but just a small slice. And it comes at the very end of the publishing cycle. Prior to that, there are two other phases of editing, which your English and communications classes never taught you developmental editing, and line editing. Today, Dave and I will discuss the first phase, developmental editing, and why it's important to setting and keeping your idea on the right path. So let's dive in, Dave. What is the biggest misunderstanding about editing a book? The first, I think, is when authors want editing and they invite some form of feedback, they end up with proofing. So we always say that the worst person to edit your book is probably an English major because he or she will immediately go into grammar and details that can happen in the line edit and even in the proofing. So one of the biggest misperceptions, I think, of of the process, of even the book writing process, is conflating the idea of a developmental edit, a line edit, and the proofing process. Those are three distinct different phases of the process. So let's jump into what is a developmental edit versus a line edit and a copy edit. Can you just tell us the differences there? For sure. So developmental editing, that's the back and forth between an editor or somebody from whom you're getting feedback and a writer as he or she is writing the book. So this is happening in real time. Does right, that make not sense? at the end. It's not happening at the end. And it's really something that we all crave as we're writing the book. And, and many of us get stuck. And this is where a lot of writers, they will write something and then they get stuck and they never go back to it. Or they get a chapter done and they get stuck because they're not sure, does this work? Does it flow? And that's really the role of a developmental editor. A developmental editor will say, hey, let's start this chapter with a better story. Or, hey, you're giving this story away at the beginning. Why don't you stop here and maybe take what actually happened with the story and put that at the end of the chapter. So it's structural things, for example. And so, or maybe it's, how does the thesis of this chapter support the larger thesis of the book. That's developmental editing. So they're teasing out things that you have become blind to probably in the writing process, but are probably frustrating to you. Absolutely, that's true. And we all struggle with it. Every writer, I think, needs a good editor and a good developmental editor. So before we go on, can you tell our listeners the difference between line editing and proofing? They oftentimes get confused and they're not the same thing. They are not. So line editing happens at the end of your writing process, not at the end of the book publishing process, but the end of your writing process. So you want somebody to come in 
at the end of your writing, when you've said, okay, this book is kind of 95% done, you want somebody to come in and what I call suck the fat out of the writing. You want somebody to put your writing on a slim fast diet. And what does that mean to suck the fat out of that the writing? That means you, let's just say, let's take one sentence. You have a sentence that you've written 20 words, but you could say the same thing in 15 words. A good line editor will suck it down to 15 words. So for example, if you used very a lot. So when we talk about uh, writing, we say that when you use unnecessary adjectives and adverbs, you slow down the reader and it shows really that you're kind of a newbie writer. So if you said, I'm gonna, uh, this, this house was very clean, right? It was very, very clean. If you're a good editor, you would, good line editor, you would take that, those two varies out. That's one part of what a line editor does. It reminds me of that quote by Mark Twain, I believe, who said that every time you use the word very, insert the word damn, and your editor will take it out, and the sentence will be just as it should be. <laughs> that is so true. And that's what a good line editor does, right? Right. And because you've always taught me, Dave, as my, as my writing mentor, that if you're saying very clean, then there has to be a stronger adjective for clean. That's right. Like immaculate. Immaculate. Very clean would be the same as immaculate, and that's one word, a stronger word. That is, that is exactly what a good line editor would do for you. And a good line editor will clean up some grammatical inconsistencies. That's good because you want the book to you know, be grammatically correct. And he or she will do some proofing, right? If she sees an error, she will fix it. But that's not what the line editing job is. So then go on to what the proofing is. So the proofing comes after all of your copy has been poured into a designed template. So it's what your publisher does. And so your publisher hires a proofer to proof the entire book. And proofing is about three or four cycles and it's, it's actually quite a complex process for these major publishing houses to make sure that your book gets proofed. But here's the thing. don't. Don't worry about that proofing when you're writing the book. Just write and get it out. That's right. So I want to go back to developmental editing and how difficult it is sometimes to get a developmental edit because it upends everything you've done. I've done some magazine writing, and I remember one time I wrote an article for a magazine, and the editor came back and said, the opening is totally wrong. You need to read you the entire article because the opening set the stage for the rest of the article. And that was exhausting to me, thinking of having to go back and start from scratch, but it ended up being a much better article. So can you kind of talk about the, just that emotion of having to undo work you've already done? There, there's no word for it other than it's really, really hard. Back in the day, there were magazines. And magazines, carried some of the best writing, and, and they still do. When you think about the New Yorker, the Atlantic, Harper's Magazine, Sports Illustrated used to have a well section that was a long, deep-running piece that they would publish in the print edition. And, and now I'm sure it's online, but it was usually a really well-reported piece. And so the editors had an opinion on what went into the magazine. So 
every magazine article had to be written and rewritten. And so there's a ton of developmental editing in magazines. Now, many of us aren't even familiar with magazines anymore because there's so few of them. But that is where great developmental editing happens. In fact, we often say before you write a book, you should write an article or two for a publication because just like what you learned, that's developmental editing and it is emotionally hard. And sometimes you may not agree with it, but if you're writing for a publication, a publication has a certain type of article that it must publish. And so they're shaping your writing to what they want to publish, just some editorial grid. So uh, you're absolutely right, it's hard, it's emotionally hard, but if you wanna create great writing, you really need to embrace a developmental edit. So that leads me to the question of, how do you decide what edits to keep that your developmental editor recommends and which ones to say, I don't agree with that, I'm gonna just do my own thing. When is it just pure folly to ignore what your developmental editor is saying and when is it wise to ignore what your developmental editor is saying? So ultimately, <laughs> it depends on which, which situation you're in. If you're self-publishing, then you can make the final decision. If you're publishing with a traditional publisher, who by the way typically doesn't do much in the way of developmental editing, but if you're with a traditional publishing, you may be under the constraint of an, of an editor who's saying, you have to do this. So if you have the option, I would always say that you're going to hate the process. So emotionally, when you, you know, the first time they say, you know what, Dave, this chapter needs to be way over here, and this story here doesn't work here. It needs to be over here, or you need three new stories in this chapter. That is really hard to, to embrace. It's hard to absorb because it requires more writing, and you're already thinking about the next chapter, right? Yeah, and You've you're sick of it. On. Right. You're sick of this, and you're like, what? Say what? And you, you think maybe I have no other stories, I have no more resources, this is the best I've got. I think you need to listen to all of it initially. And you're going to reject all of it initially. So sometimes, Melissa, when you edit me, you'll say something and I'll go, she doesn't get what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> but if I sit with it long enough, I go, ugh, there's something there. It, she flagged something for a reason. And, and then I go, oh, and, and generally I accept much of it. So I think if you are rejecting 90 to 95% of what suggestions are being made in the developmental process, you have the wrong developmental editor or you should stop writing. Right. Um, so sometimes it sounds like sometimes it sounds like you just need to sit with the feedback first for a little bit. You do. That is that is wise advice. And and to wait maybe and to keep writing on something new while you absorb it. Right, right. So let's go back to what exactly you should be working on in the developmental edit. We talked a little bit about this, but how about you dig in a little bit deeper? A, a good developmental editor or somebody who's providing you feedback will focus your attention to your book thesis. A book is fundamentally different from an article, it's different from a podcast, it's different from a white paper. You're asking somebody to pay good money and, and so you have an idea and that idea is what drives your book. So a good developmental editor will force you to be crystal clear on that idea and that every chapter that you write will be supporting this idea in some way. You're either explaining it, you're proving it, 
or you're applying it. I mean, that's pretty much the three things you can do with an idea. So a good developmental editor will be forcing you to be clear and to keep circling back to your book thesis. And by the way, you often when you start to write a book, you're not as clear as you are as you will be at the end of the book yourself as the writer. And you need to get increasingly clear on that core idea of what you're trying to say to the reader. And sometimes that means then going back to the first chapter or wherever your thesis chapter is and tweaking it because your ideas are developing as you write those Absolutely, later chapters. Absolutely, Your structure may even change. Right, right. So you, the developmental editor helps you with thesis and also with structure. Is that what I remember you saying also? That's right. So, for example, there's structure for the book and there's structure within chapters. Often when you start to write a chapter, you get lost, Right. You have a good opening story, you make a point, and you think, man, is this all I have to write? And maybe you have some research, you're trying to figure out how to, different types of research, you're trying to stitch into the chapter, and, and it just doesn't flow. So a good developmental editor will be able to read it and go, you know, could you expand this section right here? Because this is actually what contributes to your unique idea right here. I need more here. Could you add another quote? Could you add another story? So within each chapter itself, the editor is giving you advice on what needs to be expanded, what maybe needs to be cut and put into a different chapter, or maybe needs to be cut altogether. You go down a rabbit trail that you're like, this isn't productive at all, and it relieves too much tension in the chapter, and all of a sudden the reader wants to bail. We always think that writing the first draft of the book is the really hard work, but this developmental phase sounds equally as taxing. It, it is taxing because you have to go back to your little baby and, and give it a new name maybe, or give it a new pair of clothes, or that metaphor may not work. The point here simply is, you're right, this developmental part is so critical to write, rewrite, rethink, look at flow, look at stories, make sure you have good tension that people are not bailing out of the chapter. Right, so if you're self-publishing a book, where do you find a developmental editor? I, I think it's hard because uh, what you end up with is people who typically shouldn't be providing you feedback. They're proofers. Again, developmental editing is not proofing. It's just not proofing. And sometimes the people who are closest to you are most afraid to give you honest feedback. That's right. So I, I think that your mom, we talk about this in our online course, right? Your mom is not a good person to give you feedback. I don't think fellow writers are. If you're in a writing group, I would not allow anybody in that writing group to give you feedback. Absolutely not. Because they're there to be your cheering section. They're either there to be your cheering uh, squad or they end up subtly being competitive with you and they can't say anything good. Ooh, really? Oh, absolutely that's true. And there's all this, uh, this, this dynamic that goes on in writers groups and there's some really good things about writers groups, um, but I think sometimes it can be detrimental to developmental learning. Here's what I would do if I were you. And I would recommend this to every writer. If you don't have a small circle of readers who are the quintessential reader, the one you want to write to, if you don't have a group like that reading your manuscript as it's happening, you're in trouble because those are the people you're trying to write to. So I would recommend recruiting. I mean, 
if you're writing a book, you obviously have an idea who the reader is. Find two or three people that will serve as your readers and, and be really explicit about what you want from them. So when you wrote Death by Suburbs, did, who was your first reader and when did you bring them in on the process? I had a reader named Jennifer. In fact, if you look at the introduction to my book, it's actually, uh, I mentioned her in the, in the foreword because um, she was a suburban mom. Death by Suburb is a book that was written for uh, suburban women, it was that's the center of gravity who had bought into the suburban dream, right? The bigger house, successful kids, the beautiful body, the successful husband, uh, whatever. And that was that was kind of the center of gravity reader that we talk about. It took me almost seven years to write the book Death by Suburbs, so it wasn't until probably the last three years that I found her and I really began to make progress because I would have her read chapters. And what was so great is she was one part analytical. So she ended up being a core reader, but she also was analytical. So she could say, you know, this story didn't resonate with me or that's actually not how I really feel. And she'd help me with the emotion of the writing. So her name was Jennifer and I give her credit at the beginning of the book. She, she was invaluable. How did you give her permission to be that frank with you? Is that something that you have to coach the developmental editor or reader on is please be as frank as possible? Or how do you coach a developmental? That's reader? hard. And I think a lot of it has to do with the right person. So if she's a good friend of yours, forget it. <laughs> forget it. She'll either be too critical or she'll be too generous. And so uh, Jennifer today is a good friend, but largely because of that. <laughs> Um, engagement uh, but she wasn't she wasn't she Jana my wife Jana was not in a book group with her we knew her obliquely through the elementary school and so I would just encourage you if you're a writer developmental editing can come from readers right and and they will give you feedback on flow and story and voice and you just have to come up with a list of things that you want from them to coach them and just say to them, hey, listen, if you catch an error in here, that is wonderful. I want that feedback, but let me tell you, that's not why I'm hiring you or that's not why I'm engaging you or that's not, that's not the purpose of this. We'll fix the grammar. We'll fix the proofing errors. I need something much bigger. I need for you to understand flow and does it flow for you i need you to tell me yes the story resonates with me it doesn't resonate with me etc etc so final question when does developmental editing end what phase of the writing process are you done with developmental editing i think when you're done with your final chapter i think it's you're done at that point and uh, let me just say that as a writer you never feel like it's done you think man i could do more and there are those people who never publish, right? Because they can never put a period to something. At some point, you have to put a period to something. But at that point, you move it to the line editing phase, right? You're done, and you're sending it to someone to do the line editing phase. And that's a person who will go through every chapter and, and, and do what we call a red line. And it will include some proofing, but it's not the proofing, which happens later in the process. Okay, I lied. One final question. How often do you add new content after a line edit? Does that happen? Oh, absolutely. A absolutely that does. Uh, and, and usually it's because you missed something pretty big. 
Um, you'll drive your publisher crazy if you're making changes after the line edit. It becomes very expensive if you're using a self-pub, if you like that, there's all these self-publishers out there. They have fees, right? And so you add all this stuff that go, yep, you can add as much as you want, but you start doing that and it becomes very expensive. Generally with a traditional publisher, they will tell you what is the must change and that will happen before the line edit. It just will. But if you're self-publishing, it's a little bit more gray. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that makes total and sense. And I would say that if you've missed something and it's chunky, then you need to pause and stop the line edit and add it in. Just make sure you have all the chunks in before it goes to be poured for the interior design. Absolutely. And we'll probably do a whole episode on that and just what happens in that phase. I think that's a wrap for us today. Thanks for joining us and listening to this podcast. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.